Good to see everyone. We're, uh, sure is. Um, we're, we're actually going to be in the last chapter of Galatians. Um, so I'm excited about finishing up that last chapter. And I felt, I felt really good about the, those weeks and weeks we went over walking in the Spirit. Um, did that really encourage you to, to see what that really means? Isn't that awesome? Just to walk, what, what it means to walk in the Spirit, to walk in this other reality of who we are, who the Lord is, and, you know, heaven on earth inside, all that. It is amazing. Awesome. 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 So, uh, and I think it's kind of cool the way Paul goes into the first part of chapter 6, because he's kind of leading from this whole revelation of walking in this other Reality, walking in the spirit, and he, he talks about something that very, very important in the beginning of chapter six. So we'll we'll take a look at that. So let's pray together, and we'll get going. Lord, thank you so much that your life is inside of us, that you are inside of us, that you're not far away, and that we are in you. Thank you, Lord, that you're the dream giver. You give dreams. You call us to follow you and do the impossible. Things that only you can do. Thank you that you call us from the boat out into the water and say, come. And we find ourselves doing things we thought we could never do because Jesus himself is living through us. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing of any eternal value. A lot of wood, hay, and stubble, but nothing of eternal value. But with you, and in you, and through you, we can do all things. Gold and silver and precious jewels, spiritual, eternal value being built on the foundation which is Christ alone you alone Lord thank you for this simplicity thank you that you call us to step out of the boat trust and not be afraid I thank you Lord that flesh can only go just so far to go to the mount of God God says come with childlike faith come and see the glory of God didn't I say if you would but believe if you would only believe you would see the glory of God for he has called the weak and he has called the foolish and he has called the child and he hides himself from those who think themselves wise and prudent but he reveals himself to babes thank you Lord your way is perfect gives hope to the prostitute gives hope to those who have no hope gives strength to those who have no strength Thank you, Lord, good shepherd who lays down 
his life for the sheep. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And we've just left chapter 5 about walking in the Spirit. And here we go. It's almost as if Paul is addressing something very, very important in, in light of walking in the Spirit. He's bringing us into this, this thing that is really important. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, brethren, he's talking to the church here. He's talking to believers. He's wrapping up his letter, his thoughts. He's saying, brethren, if a man is overtaken, or in some versions it's called, it says caught, if a man is overtaken or caught in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So let's look at these first two verses before we go to the next three, four, and five. I'm going to try to get through five today. This is, I love this verse. What Paul is saying here when he says, come on in, come on in. What he says, when he says here, if a man, he's, of course he's talking about a person, man or woman, a person. If, you, if a person is overtaken or caught in a trespass or a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's not saying here, when he says, in some translations, says caught, when a person is caught in a sin. He's not saying that, aha, caught you. Caught you, Wim. I know you did. Eating the donut. Yeah, see, that's not what he's saying. You're eating in church. What are you doing? That's what he's not saying. He's not saying, you know, aha, caught you. He's saying if you see or, or know of a brother who is trapped in a sin, overtaken in the, by the flesh in some area, who's in bondage in some area, if you know of a brother or sister who needs help, he says the, the idea here is restore, restore. Now, this is so cool, I think, here, because he says here that uh, only you who are spiritual go and do this work. What does that mean? First of all, I want you to know the word spiritual is a good word. Some people kind of look down at the word spiritual because people have abused it. And people have said, oh, I'm spiritual, and they do stupid stuff. <laughs> they do fleshly stuff. They do stuff that God didn't originate. They, do, they say things that God didn't say. And they, they claim they're spiritual because they do things that are weird. Or they do things because in their own mind they think this is what God is saying. But true spirituality is being just like Jesus. And that includes the miracles. That includes the supernatural. That includes the awesome reality of heaven within. That includes all those things too. But it's a spirituality that is easily received and full of grace and peace and full of life. A true spirituality is not a religious kind of thing, fleshly religiosity. It's really cool. And so the first thing Paul says here is, you who are spiritual, go and help this person who is struggling in the flesh in some area. 
that, uh, that God has led you to do that. And the reason why is because if you're not spiritually minded, because what does it mean to be spiritual? In a, in a few words, spiritual means to see as God sees. That's what it means to be spiritual in just a few words. To see yourself as God sees you. To see other people as God sees them. Paul says, no, no man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. So a son or an heir of God, when you go to help someone who's a believer, foremost in our mind ought to be, this is a son or a daughter of the king who needs help. This is not a person that needs to clean their act up so God will love them. This is not a person that needs to get better so that we'll accept them. No, this is a son or a daughter of God who needs help. So being spiritually minded is somebody who sees as God sees. He has a perspective. He knows, a a spiritual person knows the finished work of Christ. He he understands grace. He understands that sin is not being counted against that brother he's going to help. That there's no, there's no, that he's not under law. In fact, that's what, that's part of the restoration is to bring his eyes back to Christ. See, that they might grow in faith. I'm not, not so much grow, but be built up in the faith. See, that, that whole mindset, that whole spiritual mindset is one of, of great um, comfort because you're coming as Jesus would come to someone. Um, that's why the, the Pharisees were so angry at Jesus because he would, uh, they said he would eat and drink with sinners. And um, he was, I think, I think the Lord is actually attracted to weakness. He's attracted to a David God, the scripture says God takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. And what he's talking about that, we talk about pull, your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He takes no, God takes no pleasure in the strength is what he's talking about. The, leg is, the legs are the strongest part of a human being. God takes no pleasure in the strength of a man, of the flesh. He takes pleasure in the one, the scripture says, his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might find that one that is trusting in him and looking to him that he might show himself strong on their behalf. Isn't that awesome? Right. See, that's why he hides himself from those who think they're wise and prudent because they'll never get it. I mean, they'll get it hopefully one day, someday. But he reveals himself to babes, to those who say, I cannot, but you can. And he loves that. He loves to take a David against a Goliath. He loves to take, I mean, Israel's full of stories where he had, you know, I love the story of Gideon. We'll do that one day. The Lord willing, the uh, story of Gideon is awesome about the, the, the what, it's like 30,000 soldiers were about to attack. And, uh, and the Lord said, ah, you got too many here. Um, tell them whoever's bought a house and got married, tell them to go home. And about 10,000 went home or something like that, 20,000. But he ended up with 300 soldiers, just 300 soldiers. And he said, if, if, they, if they attacked with 30,000 then they'll think they, they did it instead of the 300. So the scriptures are full of these stories. Okay, let's look at this. Okay, so he who is spiritual is to restore. He who has a heart to see, hey Kevin, has a heart to see as God sees. Also, look at this, saints. It says here that we're to go in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. I love this word gentleness. David said, Lord, your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. The scripture says that when Messiah would come, that 
Messiah would would not put out the smoking flax, nor would he break the bruised reed. What he means by that is when Messiah came, he would be so gentle. The smoking flax is a reference to um, a candle that's burning, but it's about to go out. Most men would just put it out and discard it and get a new candle. Scripture says the Messiah would not put it out, but he would blow on it. He would help it. He would nurture it. He would bring the flame back. He would not break the bruised reed, the Scripture says. The bruised reed is, is a reference to, in the old days, they'd have reeds they would use to write with. And if the, if the reed got bruised, it wouldn't write too good. And the Scripture says Messiah would not throw that reed away, but he would strengthen it. He would use the bruised reed. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. We feel like because our fire is dwindling or we, f- we feel bruised, we feel like we don't have the strength that we can't make it, um, that God's going to use somebody else or do something else. No, the Lord's heart is, no, you can do this through me. You can do this. Isn't that awesome? The gentleness of Christ. It's no mistake that he's called the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. It's no mistake the Holy Spirit is spoken of as the dove, the dove, the gentleness of God, the gentleness of God. That's what we need to have when we go to someone who needs, because that's how he comes to us. We will treat other people as we see God treating us. So key. And that's part of being spiritual, to see how God sees me. I will see others the same way. If I see God as being a rough uh, taskmaster with me and being tough with me, then I will be that way with other people. If I see God as, as being um, harsh or mean toward me, then I will be that way toward other people. If I see God forgiving me only after I repent, only after I amend my ways, only after I do something, I will require that of other people. And that's really important to see because there's, a, there's thinking in the body of Christ even today, worldwide, that says, yeah, I'll forgive him, but he needs to repent first. The scripture says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God forgave us when we were enemies and didn't even know we needed forgiveness. He didn't wait for us to repent before he sent the son. The son never would have come. And we'd, we'd have no hope. That same mindset needs to be in us, that before someone even changes their mind, repents, before they even um, amend their ways or whatever, there needs to be a complete forgiveness toward that person. In fact, and that's what being spiritual is, spiritually minded, because we're seeing as God sees. And what it does, it makes, it makes you and I approachable. Um, people can sense when you're being judgmental as you're trying to help them. They sense the lack of acceptance because Christ is accepting completely. The Pharisees were angered because um, when the prostitute came in, you know, the Pharisees invited him out for dinner and he was having dinner with them and this prostitute came in and washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. And the Pharisees were like whispering and sort of murmuring and they said, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and he would not let her touch him. He must be a fake. He would know this if he was a real prophet. We all know who she is. Jesus perceived what they were saying, and he, he asked a simple question. He said, you know, tell me this. 
And look at Jesus, how comfortable he was, even among the Pharisees. Nothing ruffled his feathers. He could be among the Pharisees and be comfortable. He was reclining with dinner with them. And he let a prostitute wash his feet while he's in the midst of Pharisees. He wasn't afraid what they were were thinking about him. Think about that, how free he was. Because he knew his father, and he knew who he was. And he loved people. Even the Pharisee he loved. And so, uh, so he asked him this simple question. He said, he said, tell me this, um, who, who, loves, who, would, who would love much, um, he who has forgiven little sin or he who has forgiven much sin? And the Pharisees, you know, well, I would think the one who's forgiven more sin would love more. He goes, that's true. And I came here to have dinner with you. Hey, Debbie. And no one washed my feet. And that was a custom in those days. You know, you wash the feet of the guest. They didn't even give him the, that respect of a simple guest to wash his feet. They'd have servants that would do this, you know, wash the feet, prepare for dinner. I said, I came here to dinner. You invited me and no one washed my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears. I just water in a basin. And she's dried them with her hair. And she turned, he turned to her and he said, O oh, woman, though your sins are many, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Your faith in me has made you whole. Go in peace. Go in peace. She got the blessing of her life. She could, and look at her boldness. She loved him so much. She knew what crowd that was. She knew the tough crowd that he was having dinner with. She didn't care. She marched right in there with tears flowing already. And, I, and some people think that was um, the woman who was caught in adultery. Some, there's, there's theories about which woman this is. Um, or Mary Magdalene who had the seven demons cast out of her. There's theories, but it doesn't really matter. But she came in already crying. And she just collapsed at his feet. And, just, and then the tears on his feet. And she just began to, to wipe with her hair and, and gently, you know. Isn't that awesome? And um, that's how he is to us. We will treat other people as we see him treating us. And so that's why it's so important for us to be gentle and spiritually minded when we go to restore and encourage someone. And it also says here, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. In other words, I said this to a brother years ago. He was going through a hard time and I said, and he, you know, we were trying to help him and encourage him. And God, God gave me words to say. And I said, you know, brother, next year, this time next year, you might be helping me with this same sin, this same issue. I could do the same thing in the flesh. And light bulbs went off in him, and he said, wow. And immediately he felt like he was not, like, somehow not good enough. And that's, that's a powerful thing you should say to someone, because Paul is saying here, consider your own self, lest you also be tempted. Anytime you go to help a brother or sister who's struggling with in the flesh, remember, you've got the flesh, too. Right. We've got the flesh, too. We're capable of the very thing that we're trying to help that person get free of. And it's... It, it, it really is awesome. It opens doors. Their heart opens like, wow, I, I, God touches them. And they realize that, wow, you're not coming on a high horse looking down at them, but you're coming on the same level. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Isn't that cool? 
and, and that is that is why Paul says, "You who are spiritual, go restore." Because the unspiritual, the carnally minded, many times will go judgmental. They will go like, "I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe she's doing that." You know, not realizing that they could do the very same thing. So that's really important. That's that humility. Um, a very good friend of mine who passed away was it two years ago, Mike Duda, uh, Andy Duda's brother. You know, Mike Duda great brother. He passed away. He told me something I'll never forget. He said God spoke to him one day and kind of whispered to him and said, it's like uh, he, God kind of spoke to him in his heart and said, Mike, you know what, you know what true humility is? True humility? And hey, Kathleen. Um, and he said, uh, he said, no, Lord, what? And the Lord said, true humility is being harmless. Harmless. People are not afraid of you if you're truly humble. They're not afraid that you're going to hurt them. Children will climb all over you like they climbed over Jesus because they weren't afraid of him. To be humble is to be harmless. When you have a sense that someone is harmless, that they're not going to hurt you, they're not going to, you know, after you say so you share your heart with them and you know they're not going to go around behind your back and tell everybody and hurt you that way or you know that if you trust someone with some value they're not going to just throw it away or whatever it is if you know you can that someone's not going to harm you on whatever level emotional financial whatever then you that person is very approachable and you can just go to that person that's the way Jesus was Nobody felt like going to him that would be harmed. Isn't that awesome? I'll never forget Mike Duda sharing that with me. I'll carry that to, to my grave as, as a, from the Christ himself. Like, son, humility will manifest itself in harmlessness. Even when the enemy is taking him and tying his hands and about to give him, put him on the cross and Peter's trying to fight for him and Jesus said, no, harmlessness. They were about to go into Samaria, and the Samaritans said, Oh, no, 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 we're not going to let you come in here. And John, man, Lord, shall we rain fire down like Elijah did and teach them a lesson? They're not letting you go through their city. And Jesus said, No, John, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You know not what spirit you are of. He meant by that, You know not the spirit of my Father. Because they weren't yet born of him, but he was among them. He was trying to teach them the spirit of the Father. See? And what's interesting about the new covenant, under the old covenant, God did rain fire at the word of Elijah. It's a whole different covenant. A whole new thing now. It doesn't mean God didn't love before, but there was a whole new work. The covenant was to show man's great need of God. And now God couldn't wait to show that the covenant of law was not the answer, never was the answer, but the answer is my son. Right. See? And so, in this scene, you see the heart of God and Jesus said, we'll go around. We'll go around. And they walked around the city. Harmlessness, humility, harmlessness. You know, I hear sometimes preachers say about how, you know, they get angry about whatever and they say, I'm going to rain fire down from heaven. I'm like going, haven't you read the scripture? <laughs> Don't you know this Jesus that you're preaching? Oh, well. Anyway, um, 
Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love this, saints, because, you know, years ago, like uh, the Promise Keepers was big in the 90s, and, and the big thing among the Promise Keepers, which was a good thing, I think it was a very good thing, it did a lot of good things, um, it brought men together to be fathers and brothers, and, you know, it was a good thing. But one of the things with the Promise Keepers that they emphasized a lot was accountability groups. And it's still emphasized in some circles. But accountability groups is, is not the, it's not why Jesus came. And it's not the answer um, to everything. I think the, the emphasis on, on just being accountable to people has caused us to lose sight of the real power. Because the flesh is tricky. You get into a, an accountability group... In a matter of weeks, you figured out a way to get around being honest with that group. Isn't that the truth? Yes. They don't work. I talked to a guy from Promise Keepers. He said, you know, accountability groups just don't work. The flesh is too tricky. They, you know, if you're looking to another person to hold you accountable to keep you in line, it's a matter of weeks before you're finding a way to do what the flesh wants to do and then tell them whatever they want to hear in the accountability group to, so you can be accepted. It's not, you know, Jesus didn't come and die and be raised again so we could have accountability groups. Think about that. It's, I think it's more of an emphasis on the flesh trying to keep the flesh in bounds. It's the flesh trying to keep the flesh. And one day I was, I was driving and I was thinking about this whole thing in the 90s about the accountability stuff. It was everywhere. Everybody was talking about accountability, accountability. You don't hear it as much now. And that's how you can tell something is really not of God because it's like a trendy thing that it's a big thing in the 90s and now you don't hear about it. And it's like the Spirit spoke to me. He said, I felt God say, son, it's not accountability. That's a legal term. The apostles never, never used the word accountability. Except in Romans, when Paul said, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. See, accountability is a legal term. It's, it's, you're accountable because you're under some obligation. The right term, the Lord told me, spoke to me in my heart, the right term, he said, is, is this verse right here, verse 2. He said, it's not, a, it's not all about accountability. It's about bearing one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens. That's the, li- that's the life of Christ. It's not holding people accountable so that you know, you, you call them on the carpet because they're not acting right or doing right. No, it's bearing one another's burdens. The fellowship of the saints should have a heart of gentleness and spiritual eyes to be able to restore and encourage. And verse 2 here says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the phrase law of Christ just speaks of the love of God because he bore our burden. Isn't that cool? That's his heart, that we bear one another's burdens. So when we approach a brother or sister who's in need, who's trapped in some fleshly bondage or whatever, you should have, we should have that mindset that Jesus had that, let me help him carry his burden. Let me help him carry his burden. Because we all have this burden. What does that really mean to carry or to bear someone's burden? I mean, what does that really mean? I think, it, I think in this context, he's talking about 
the burden of the person who is trapped in the flesh in, in some way, he feels um, condemned, he feels uh, isolated, he feels uh, maybe unloved because the accuser of the brethren, the, the enemy has, has been on his case. And that same burden we all feel sometimes because we're still in the flesh, not in the flesh, but we still have the flesh. And I think that burden, Christ bore our burden, which was sin, but he also, he also bore, you know, he bears the weakness of our humanity. And so I think that means the, the, the burden of all that's, that sin involves, help him bear that burden, encourage him in the faith, restore See him as God sees him and talk to him. Speak the truth to him in love. And, and the, the truth is not you're sinning. That's not what the context of Ephesians is all about. The truth is the spiritual reality of who Christ is and what he did. Speak that truth, that truth that sets you free and encourage that person. I think that's... So, so, so what I was going to say it sort of means like you look beyond the fleshly deed or the fleshly happening to the spiritual person, that's what you which is like bearing their burden is the fleshly thing and so we look beyond that to the spiritual man. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Uh, Paul says, know no man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. See them in the spirit, encourage them, help them see themselves in the spirit, you know, and remind them. I remember my I had a good friend of mine a while back that was going through a hard time. And um, I was just getting this revelation of grace and all right and and he was calling me on the phone. I was normally my response would have been, "You need to shape up. You know, you need to get. You shouldn't be doing that. And you know, you know, you need to realize this is not right or whatever." And now the way I would minister this to him or anybody now is he would talk to me about, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I don't feel like, I don't know. God seems to have failed me, and I don't know if I really am going to continue anymore. That kind of that kind of thinking. And man, I said, "Oh man, listen." Have you, have you read this in Ephesians? And I would go, I'm on the phone going like, do you realize you're a son of God? That God has already brought you through judgment? That there's no judgment anymore? Do you, isn't that awesome? And he's like, this is different. You know? <laughs> As, instead of being like, beat, instead of being beat up, God was teaching me how to help them, help them see the truth. And his eyes began to awaken more and more. And then it was a matter of months, not long at all. He was calling me and saying, have you read that in Colossians? Oh, my God. So the life began to bubble up again because faith, the scripture says, he who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So what is the key to stirring up that gift of the spirit within us? What is the key to the flow of the rivers of living water? It is a revelation of Jesus and faith in him. See? A revelation of Him and His work and our trusting and believing in that. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So if we speak and encourage each other in the Spirit, the reality of Christ, faith arises. Faith comes by hearing, the Scripture says. Faith arises and then the Spirit's released and life begins to be stirred in us. Spring up a well, the song we used to sing. The life, and it's the Spirit of life that puts to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit of life that puts to death the deeds of the body. Not law. The law is actually the strength of sin. So anyway, that's, it's, just a, it's a whole new way of, of ministering to people that Paul is talking about here, and he, he speaks about it in other parts of his letter, but it's a whole different perspective. James, yeah. Just for your fellow Christian, I mean, I know we're supposed to help and bear each other's burdens and everything, but is this just like when you minister and build them up in their faith and things like this, is this... Just for Christians? Well, 
for, to helping your bearing your fellow Christians' burdens and and helping them and encouraging them. Or in that sense, or, yeah. Or someone who doesn't know Christ at all, you you can't give them that. No, that's a good question. It's he's talking here about the believer because the unbeliever can't see until they're born of the Spirit. But it's the same spirit of gentleness, the same ministry that Jesus did toward everybody, the same love. Because when you know people not after the flesh, and they're either, they either have the life or they don't have the life. They either have the Son or they don't have the Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son has not the life. So you minister the same way, really, in terms of helping them see Him, that they might believe. And so if you have someone that's not a believer and they're they're in some uh, fleshly bondage or whatever, you come with a twinkle in your eye and, and hope with no condemnation. And you're, tr- you're trying to say, man, if you only knew what I knew. Just like J- Jesus said to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who had five divorces and who was sleeping with a man who was not her husband. And Jesus said, oh, woman, it's, it's not a matter. It's not about you. If you only knew who I was, I'd give you water to drink and you would never thirst again. So in a, it's the same spirit, same, same spirit that Jesus had when the Samaritans wanted to exclude him and the apostles wanted to rain fire down. Same spirit he gave toward the unbeliever as the believer for the rain of God and the sunshine of God falls upon the just and the unjust. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful to the believer and unbeliever. Same heart, same, but it's just a different ministry because for the unbeliever, you're getting them to, trying to get them to see Christ and believe they might receive life. To the believer, you're trying to get them to see Christ, to remember who they are, that they might have life. You see? But it's the same thing. It's just a different perspective. James, yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta say this because it's so important that the, the world has had the message of law preached to them so hard. When I, when I was unsaved, basically, I had a guy come to me and he told me, "Why haven't you accepted Christ?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm just going to sin again." I said, "What to do?" He goes, "Rob, he says God wants you the way you are." The lights just came on, and I said, "Excuse me, I don't have to change." No, he says, "Do not change. Just don't even try to change." He says, "And the grace message just came through." That awesome one sentence, that one sentence changed the face course of my entire life. If he not said that, I would not accept the Christ. Awesome, awesome. And you know, people—you may not say it exactly like that, but people yeah. can feel that you ha- you have a condition yeah. on their. Yeah. On God's love for them. Unconditional thing. That's right. It, it, it took me, I don't know how many minutes to let it sink in. I was like, well, that's not the way I've been here. Is. I heard you got to repent. You got to change. You got to you know, change, 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 and work your way up to that ladder. You know, that's what I heard all my whole life. And I know. He said, no, God loves you the way you are now. In fact, he. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Rob. And I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Easy message, man. Who wouldn't want that? You know, hey. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's yeah. The spirit only the spirit can bring change anyway. So it's not a matter of getting changed so then you can come to God. I mean, that, there's no glory and glory to God in that. I mean, that's just the flesh patting itself on the back. Hey, I can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Kind of thing, which I can't stand that 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 feeling that or that you sense in some people that hey, why does that person have a problem? I I don't have a problem with that. Why does he have a problem with that? I was like, oh God. Well, just wait, dude. <laughs> you know, but um. Well, that's where he was confusing repent with him changing. Repentance is, you know, letting God change you. 
Well, actually, we're going, I'm going to do a teaching on repentance one day, the Lord willing, because we've got a lot of religious baggage around that word repentance. But actually, the word repentance simply means a change of mind. That's it. A change of mind. And change of mind is inherent in believing. Because, see, Rob changed his mind. Oh, you mean a God? A God wants me just like I am? He changed his mind. That's repentance. Repentance is not letting God change me. Repentance is simply a change of mind. We've put so much religious baggage on that word. That's like saying, you could use the word repentance in everyday conversation if you wanted to. You could say, you know, we were going to go to Olive Garden, but we, re- we repented, and we're going to go to McDonald's. We just don't use it. We, see how funny that sounds? Because we're so used to hearing that word in religious context. But the scripture talks about repentance. It's just simply a change of mind. You change your mind. I was going to vote Democrat, but I repented, and I voted Republican. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, just a change of mind. Or I, was go, or I was going to make a right turn, I repented, I made a left turn. You know? Um, it's like, uh, and we'll do that. You're going to love this study on repentance. The scripture says God repented more than once. So put your definition of repentance in that sentence. Okay, let's see. Repentance means to be sorry for your sin, to uh, uh, let God change me. I need to be changed. I need to walk down the aisle. I need to cry a lot. I need to make amends. Um, and then put that in the sentence that says, and God repented. Doesn't fit. But God did change his mind. He was going to destroy all of Israel, angry with them because of their rebelliousness. And Moses prayed and said, Lord, change your mind about this. Please repent. Repent of the destruction you're about to. And the Lord heard Moses and repented. Changed his mind. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man, I can't wait to do that because there's so much. Romans 7 is all about Paul struggling with sin. I'm doing the very thing I hate, the very thing I want to do, I can't do, the very thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. What is this? What is this? The word repentance is never brought up in Romans 7. Never. Romans 6, 7, 8, never brought up. Because if you're doing something you hate, you've already changed your mind. You don't need a teaching on repentance if you already hate what you're doing you've already repented see oh it's a great teaching on what repentance really is it's awesome it's all we put so many christians in bondage because they're they're struggling with sin and they need to get free they've already repented they've already changed their mind about it they hate what they're doing they want to set be set free and we hear people and then people tell them you need to repent you must have not really repented because you're still doing it no Paul really repented in Romans 7. He really changed his mind. He was still doing it. So you can still be sinning and not need repentance. Isn't that awesome? That's the truth. That's the scripture. You can actually be doing something, but because you hate it and you want to get free of it, you don't need repentance. You need a revelation of Him and a renewal of the mind. And that happens gradually as we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of Him. Isn't that awesome? That one teaching right there would set millions free in the church. Millions. And it's totally scriptural. It's amazing how we have, we have really, we have so much religious thinking in our, in our minds. How do we get off on that? <laughs> Kathleen. I am so sorry. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. Okay, well, we didn't get to verses 3, 4, and 5. We better wrap up here. We'll try to do that next Sunday, the Lord willing, verses 3, 4, and 5, but that's 6, 1, and 2. 
Just be encouraged, saints, that we have a gentle, gentle shepherd. And uh, he will not let the flax go out, nor nor will he throw away the bruised reed. We can run to him. He's so approachable. He's harmless. We, we can come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. And even in our stubbornness, he's not ready to rain fire down. He'll wait. We'll go around. Let's visit him next week. Oh, humility of God. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your life. Help us when we see a brother or sister struggling with anything that we would have your mind and we would see as you see and that we would be a comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Tell them their warfare is over. Tell them they have already received double for all their sins. Tell them they were once my enemy, but now they're my friends. Tell them. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.